One of the exciting things about the, the mission that we have and particularly the values that we're using to go about accomplishing that, like cultivating uh, kingdom diversity, is when we look at the end of time, when we see God's church, it already is as diverse as there are people. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation, you know, worshiping and proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. Um, and part of what's really cool about what's happening now is that we are intentionally saying we want to create a pocket of that here. We are the kind of place that looks more like the kingdom of God and continues to get that way because of what we have that unifies us is way bigger than anything that could divide us. So Forest Hill and Urban Promise have been in partnership for years now. Primarily, the last few years has been in our hosting and investing in their South Boulevard location for Urban Promise, which is right in line with our values of who we are. The mission that God has us on in building bridges that connect everybody to dynamic life in Christ. And Urban Promise is just one of the best ways that we do that, that we partner with somebody in doing it. My name is Jimmy McQuilkin with Urban Promise Charlotte, and our mission at Urban Promise is to raise up young Christian leaders from within Charlotte's low-income neighborhoods that have a vision for being leaders of restoration in their communities both now and in the future. And we do this through primarily a really special program we call our Street Leader Program, whereby we employ high school students, teenagers, to be counselors, mentors, and role models for younger students that attend our after-school and summer programs around the year. There is nobody cooler to our younger students than our street leaders, the teenagers from their neighborhood that share their background and experience. And street leaders really become these blueprints for our younger students to, to live up to and live into. And then on the flip side, our street leaders, like something magic inside of them just happens when they realize the impact that they can make on the younger students who they lead day in and day out. And so there are three parts to our, our vision to reach a child, raise a leader and restore community. So we reach out to those younger students, kindergarten through eighth grade students that attend year round neighborhood based after school and summer programs. Uh, and then as those students move through elementary and middle school into high school, they become that next group of street leaders. Uh, our street leaders grow in their leadership and their faith and their academics. And ultimately, we support them through their college access journey. Uh, and we've seen 100% of our high school street leaders get into, get into college. Almost all of them will be the first in their families to graduate. Uh, and then long-term, in terms of that third piece of our mission to restore community, uh, we hope the street leader experiences an invitation to a lifetime of servant leadership for our street leaders. So as they graduate college, they come back and they lead in really special uh, ways around the city, not only for their own achievement, but in order to farther establish God's kingdom of hope and justice and peace for all here in the city of Charlotte. We started our first neighborhood site in the South Boulevard community, the South Boulevard corridor here in Charlotte, um, where Forest Hill was getting rooted itself in terms of serving, serving that neighborhood, which is only uh, three or four miles away from the South Park campus. And so since that moment, Forest Hill has made Urban Promise possible in so many different ways, whether that is investing financially in our work um, and having volunteers and mentors support our students and street leaders and program um, through board leadership um, and just being an advocate uh, for our work here in Charlotte. And it is probably no exaggeration to say that Urban Promise would not be where it is today if not for Forest Hills investment and, and commitment to our students and families and community. One of the things that I wanna make sure uh, to say as often as possible is, is just a thank you 
to the people of Forest Hill that continue to give and invest into the kingdom through this place. That takes a lot and I'm just really proud that we're the kind of church that's able to do these types of things. And that's because individuals in our church said, I am willing to go all in to, to commit to and to be serious about generosity. And then as a church, we take that and we turn it around and we are serious about generosity outside these doors to third-party organizations and folks who are doing great work that we can't and shouldn't recreate, but that we absolutely should partner with every time we get the chance. That is such a great story. And I really mean, I am so glad that we can celebrate together the goodness of God through our generosity, your engagement. So just in case you don't know, every dollar that comes in this place, 20% of it automatically goes out to do things like support Urban Promise or many of our other partners in the city. And I just wanna say thank you to all of you who do that. You continue to obey God and invest in here. Some exciting stuff there. There's part two to the story that's gonna come up here in just a couple weeks. Can't wait to tell you about what God is doing. But if you wanna to continue to invest, if you wanna be connected to what's happening here, the easiest way is this QR code. It's in front of you somewhere in the seat or it's on the screen right now. Just simply scan that, open it up, click give, and we would love to keep telling more stories about God's faithfulness just like this. So thank you for that, Forest Hill Church. You guys are amazing. My name is Jason, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, as we continue this week in a series we started last week looking at a letter called Second Peter, I wanna catch those of you up who maybe missed that or forgot already, it's been a week, and, and the others of you who are kind of just jumping in today wanna make sure you have everything you need to follow because here's the promise I'm gonna make you today. Every single one of you, no matter where you are, watching online, in a room here, you have the opportunity today to take a step. There is something for you in this text, not in what I'm gonna say, but in what God wants to do in you that can dramatically impact and change both your life and the world around you. It is here for you if you will say yes. That's a promise to make to you. The reason I can be so sure is because Peter, the writer of this letter we're studying, was writing to a group of people who were experiencing incredible difficulty he himself was just about to be martyred by the Emperor Nero. This is around AD 67 in Rome. And just as we live in challenging times today, Peter was living in extremely challenging times and a moment where he's about to lose his life for his faith and following Jesus. And so he wants to tell us, you can live courageously even in challenging times. Last week, we looked at, at just his greeting, just the welcome of his letter, and packed in that, we found him say this, that we can live a dynamic life in Christ. How we do that is by connecting to the source of power of God in Christ through faith in the gospel message. That Jesus' life, death, and resurrection gives us everything we need, Peter would say, for life and godliness. Everything that you need to live the life God dreams and sees for you is possible through him giving it to you. It's all there. And in doing that, he says, we get to share this crazy mystery. We get to share in the divine nature of God. And then he said these last words at the end of verse four last week, and therefore you can escape the corruption of this world. Anybody here know that the world is corrupt? right? I mean, every day it feels like we see more and more evidence. And it's not just corrupt out there. It's corrupt in here, right? And 
Peter wants to tell us, no matter where you're starting from right now, through the life of Christ, you can experience a different, dynamic, adventurous, flourishing, abundant, Jesus would call it life. And this week, he's gonna show us what it looks like. So I'm gonna ask wherever you are, uh, if you'd stand with us, we do this because we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, relevant and has everything we need for faith and practice, and we honor it by listening. We place ourselves under its authority. Here's what Peter's gonna say in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse five. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. Goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election because if you do, these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. This is God's word. You can be seated. Peter is gonna go on to talk to us after he gives us this first chapter about foundations for our faith. He's gonna talk to us about some false teachers and false narrative that's out there that can attack us. And then he's gonna also tell us about the future. And he wants us to have a place in that future and the ability to stand against some of that false teaching by making sure we're standing on a firm foundation. But to do it, he says, in this mysterious way, we get to participate with God. Somehow, in God's sovereign providence, he wants you and I to actively work with him in building our life of faith. It reminds me of this idea, and I wanna use this for a metaphor, kind of the rest of the message today. Maybe you can find yourself in it too, but it reminds me of the very first apartment or house maybe that you ever owned, that I ever owned, and how I walked in that place. Do you remember the very first one, the excitement level of coming into those blank four walls, really small compared to probably what you came from? You know, unless you were coming straight from a college dorm and then it was, you know, it was, seemed like an expanse, right? But you go into this blank canvas and it has everything you need to protect you from the elements. A roof, shelter, but you gotta go about adding to it the things that turn it into a home. You gotta make it a, a life out of that. You gotta put furniture in there. That's kind of what I wanna talk about today is how to fully furnish our faith. See, we've been given this faith that allows us to live as God's gonna intend us to live, but he wants us to go about furnishing the apartment, furnishing the house. So when I started out on this, I had two pillars that were the principles for my decorating prowess, and I can imagine you're looking at me saying, oh, I'm sure it was beautiful, right? Um, here, here were my two rules. One, pay as little as possible for furniture. Uh, any of you had that rule when you started out? Some of you have it right now. Right, I pay as little as possible, invest as little of me in, in this right now. And the second one 
was function over form. I could care less, and it was kind of like my construction principle is like close enough is good enough. You know, you ever had that one? It's good enough, close enough. So I outfit my apartment with stuff that I found, like somebody's given this away, this is on offer up, I'll take that. And I had just this conglomeration of stuff that I got used to, I got comfortable with, including a futon. I'm 6'7", 240. I'm not made for futons. Right, but, but that's what, I mean, look at the function. It's a couch, it's a bed, it's a couch, it's a bed, whatever I need it to be, this is great, it works fine. Then I meet my sweet wife, Jessica, who's an artist, who has an aesthetic, who uh, works like a designer a lot, and she comes in, and I remember so vividly, we've been dating for a little bit, and I don't know how she kept her mouth shut for the first few months, but we get to the point where we're talking about like maybe getting married, and like what would it be like to move in and start a home together, and she was sitting in my apartment one day, sitting on this ratty futon, and she's looking around the room, and, and I'm like, hey babe, what you thinking? And she's like, well, I'm just trying to figure out what we're gonna do with all your stuff. <laughs> Anybody ever had that before? I mean, nothing was gonna make it. Maybe one lamp was gonna be saved. But she, as a and a good designer, can see beyond what's there now to what's possible. That's what it really was. I was living still like a, a bachelor from just getting out of college. I had enough function that I had gotten really comfortable with, I could make it through life with that stuff. And she's like, but this could be so much better, so much more beautiful, so much more fruitful. And a good designer can do that. I want you to think about this fact that as God asks us to fully furnish our faith, he is the designer that sees and knows exactly what you need to live the life he wants you to live. And he's gonna ask you to participate, join him, and get it. See, I had to go get some furniture and I had to get rid of some stuff and it, it broke my heart, honestly, in some ways. Some of the things I had to part with, like that futon, I'm, you can tell I'm still not over it. Um, but my life is so much better because I followed. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna jump into this passage. We're gonna look at each one of these things that Peter's just told us to add, to supplement to our faith, to furnish it with. I wanna break it down and kinda give you real quick what they mean and then we're gonna end with this challenge. And here's what I want you to be hearing as I walk through it. Which one of these do you need to make every effort to grow in your life? Where do you need to put effort into furnishing your faith? That phrase itself, make every effort, actually, it's, it's one of the mysteries of the relationship that we have with Christ. That somehow God, the designer, creator of the universe, says you can participate with me in doing this. It's not like um, the collaboration that naturally happens sometimes in the music industry or whatever, where one artist calls another and says, I wanna do a collaboration with you, and one's bringing all of it to the table, and the other one is like just proud to be here showing up. God says, oh, we're gonna work together. I'm gonna supply the power, and I want you to expend effort. See, that's the first thing that I didn't really grasp when Jessica said, we gotta throw away all your stuff is it was gonna, I was gonna have to put effort, it was gonna cost me something to live a life that was better than the one that I lived. And I didn't like, at the moment, what price I was gonna have to pay, but I loved her. And I wanted more than anything for her to be comfortable in my home. So I was willing to get rid of stuff and to add things because that relationship meant so much to me. Peter says, your relationship to Christ is like that, make every effort put energy and cost into participating with God. Now, 
One of the things that we, the reasons we don't like talking about this participation idea a lot is because we're told, especially in this church, we've grown up believing that everything that we have is a gift of God by grace, right? And that is true. We actually are finding our salvation. We are rescued simply because we place faith in the grace of God to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. But God also, in this apparent contradiction, says, but I'm gonna work with you to confirm that. Ephesians 4 says you gotta put on. I've given you this new life, but now you gotta put on like getting dressed. Colossians 3 says put on and put off these things. We have to actually live into the identity that God gives us. So make every effort first. Here's the key to this. You and I, we can't do this on our own. You can't do this. You can't transform into the person that God is calling you to be on your own. But God will not do this without us. We can't do it without him. He won't do it without us. There's a partnership, a a cooperation that's required. So here are the things that Peter says we've got to grow into. Here's the furniture for our house of faith. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. This list, first of all, you need to know is not sequential. It's not like you build one and once you get that all settled, then you start the next one. Kind of like furnishing or working in your house is never done. Any of you have the house exactly the way that you want it to be forever and it's never changing? No, you're gonna keep adding and building. And as you add one thing, it actually shows up something that's lacking somewhere else. And so don't think of this as you gotta get goodness down and then start on knowledge. We work together and I'll show you what I mean here in just a moment. So goodness. In English, when we talk about good, sometimes that is like mediocre. You know, something's good, it's decent, it's fine. What Peter means here when he says goodness is actually moral excellence. It's choosing to do the right hard thing rather than the wrong easy thing. It's saying that there's actually a virtue, there's actually a way of life that is right that the scripture lays out for us how to live and that we should add to our faith, our trust in Christ, moral choices of excellence. And then he says, add to that knowledge. Last week, I talked to you about knowledge that he used at the beginning of the letter and he used this word called epignosis, which is a certain kind of knowledge. It's, it's the deep, intimate, relational kind of knowledge. Sort of like the difference in knowing a person and knowing about a person. You know what you call somebody who just knows a lot about a person but doesn't actually know them? A stalker. That's what, some of us stalk Jesus. You know a ton about him, but you don't relationally, you don't have experience with him. That's what Peter was talking about at the beginning. That's how we get the dynamic life. And what he says it looks like is growing in practical knowledge of him, how to live like him. This is the wisdom of applied knowledge in our lives. He says, you need to go get that. And then he says, self-control. Self-control. Everybody knows what self-control means. The thing that Peter's getting across is that you should be and I should be adding to our faith the ability to not be a slave to our desire. To not have to go with your appetites. That how many of you know someone who lives kind of the, I see it, I want it, I want it, I buy it, I buy it, I'm tired of it, 
I'm tired of it, I throw it away. You know that process that we go through? Peter, it's interesting that Peter would bring up this idea of self-control because Peter is one of the most impulsive people who ever followed Jesus. When we look, we talked about this last week, you know, he did all kinds of crazy stuff. Like he was super passionate, but like a passionate person, Peter seemed to always live out of just the desire. What was next? So he spoke when he was supposed to be quiet and he slept when he was supposed to pray. And he, he, um, we talked last week about how he invited a bunch of people over to his mother-in-law's house while she was sick in bed for dinner. Like he just didn't think sometimes. And yet now Peter says, self-control has got to be one of the the things you add to your life. There's one instance that I love. It's, it's Peter in John 18, John 19, when Jesus is uh, being arrested. He's just been betrayed. We looked at this at Easter. And Jesus, we're told, is about to go willingly, peacefully with the soldiers who come for him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's doing that because he doesn't want any of the disciples, we're told, to, to be arrested as well, to be lost. And Peter, in this moment of just doing what he feels, grabs a sword and cuts off the ear of one of the servants there, a guy named Malchus. Jesus has got to get down and do a you know, Mr. Potato Head miracle where he picks the ear up and sticks it back on and it stays. But Peter is like, he's like the poster boy for not having self-control. And yet somehow over the years since then, he's grown to one who can say no to his desire. That's my question for you. Is there a place in your life where you're just still not able to say no to the desire. In a couple of weeks, we're gonna look at what some of the, the false teaching was that Peter was trying to contradict and deal with. And one of the things was these false teachers saying that you don't have to control your body. It's just your body. It's just biology. You do you. Whatever you feel like is fine. And Peter is saying to them and to us, you've got to add self-control to this. Then he says, you've got to add endurance. Endurance, the word literally means to walk under the load. For some of us, we're trying to endure in suffering. That's what the load is for you. You've, you've experienced something and the suffering, the, the waiting on that, either the grief to leave or the healing to come, it feels like a load. And part of what we're asked to do is to keep walking. Your steps may be short. You may have to take breaks, but can you keep moving in endurance for persevering even when it's hard? I think this is one of the characteristics, one of the virtues and values that we really need to teach uh, some of the younger folks in the next generation coming up because it feels like, to me, it feels like our world has made it really simple to just, when it's hard, I eject. And so what I want to do with my kids is to teach resilience. I really want to teach how to do hard things and keep doing hard things so that when it starts to get tough, you don't just jettison it because that starts to play itself out in really important and impactful ways when you become an adult. And there are followers of Jesus who get to where marriage is just hard. I'm just tossing it. This is one of those virtues and characteristics that we have to add to, make every effort to supplement with our faith, endurance. He says godliness. This, this idea is of reverence and wonder, the awe of God. How many of you still, and this isn't 
to convict. This is just like to open us up to what's possible. How many of you still wake up some mornings and see a sunrise and just go, God, I'm in awe of what you've done. I mean, I see my kids play and I hear their laughter. I'm just in awe that you would do that for me. I'm in awe of who you are. How many of us live that kind of, that's what this godliness means. And then he says, and I wanna spend a couple minutes on these two next words. They both can be translated love. In the translation I read to you, it says brotherly affection. The second one says love. The first one, brotherly affection, is a word called phileo. And if you've heard of that before, you know phileo. It's a, it's a type of love that is used to describe intense affection for uh, someone in your family or a friend. It's the kind of love that causes you to put aside differences sometimes so that you can have unity with someone that you care about. Phileo is, is underneath the, the word like Philadelphia for the city, this city of brotherly love. That's what he's talking about. And Peter says, look, inside the community of faith, there are gonna be things that divide you. You're gonna have preferences. You're gonna have issues that you don't see the same. And what I wanna make sure that you're doing is showing deep brotherly, uh, sisterly affection for those who are different thinking from you but are still part of the family. This one's been tested in our churches all across the country this last year, right? So many things that we wanna just kind of trash and, and not have endurance, we not have perseverance. We're ready to throw away relationships because we don't see things the same. And Peter's heavy suggestion, remember he said, I'm an apostle, I've got authority here. His, his recipe for us in how to live the life that we actually want is to demonstrate phileo, to make effort in loving and keeping unity inside the body of Christ. Agape is different. The second word, love, is agape. Agape is love not because of what it feels, but because of what it does. Agape is the kind of love, and Jesus showed both of these, but it's the kind that he demonstrates on the cross where at great personal sacrifice, he's willing to do something for someone who doesn't deserve it, someone from outside. And Peter says, you gotta not only love the people in here that are like you, you gotta self-sacrificially love those out there that aren't like you, that can't return anything to you, that you don't have any, any benefit from. Add this, make every effort to supplement your faith with agape. See, you can agape an enemy. You can will good for them, you can work for their good, you can choose to do things for their benefit. You can't phileo an enemy. You don't have affection for that person, but you can love at personal cost. And Peter says, make every effort. Now, if you're like me, as I read this this week, I started thinking about all these things and I started going down the list. I'm like, goodness, okay, okay. I got endurance, sure, I can get better at that. And I started to get to the end of the list and I started going like, this sounds like a lot of work. You, are you feeling that right now? Like, this is gonna cost me. Just like those of you who decide one day you're ready to move into adult world and you get rid of college furniture and you hire a designer. I don't know everybody hires a designer, but if you did, or if you just happen to marry or date somebody who's really good at this, it is expensive to have someone come in and tell you what you can't already see. It's it costs you something to choose to move in more of what you need and out more of what you've gotten comfortable with. 
ways of living, ways of acting. And yet it leads you to a beautiful life. Here's what Peter would say next. He says in verse eight, if you possess all of these in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being useless or unfruitful. If you keep growing, and notice he doesn't say like, once you've got it all down, the, the expectation is not that we've reached the limit of our goodness or any of these things. He doesn't even say that, that you gotta be there just at a certain level to qualify. He just says, I wanna see these growing in your life. Are you transforming or are you staying the same? Have you been a Christian, a follower of Jesus for 10 years and yet your life, your character doesn't look any different than it did when you started? If so, you're in danger of being useless and unfruitful. He doesn't say that you're going to hell or that you're missing out on heaven right there. He's not saying that. He's saying, you've got to look and see, am I growing in these ways? Because the belief in Christianity, the faith of Christ should radically alter our behavior. It's not based on our behavior, but it should affect our behavior. And useless and unfruitful. Like, who wants that? Here's the thing. This is why I believe absolutely that there's something here for everybody in this room. You are here. I said this last week too. I don't think anybody comes to church or looks, seeks after God and Christ anymore just because it's habit. It's just too easy to find whatever else you might try to fill up your mind or your heart with somewhere else. This is harder stuff. So I think you're here because you actually believe that you can change, that you can be transformed, that there is a better life for you. And think about it. Don't you want to be the kind of person that has applied wisdom that makes good choices? Don't you want to be the kind of person that doesn't always have an argument going with somebody else, but you're keeping unity and, and showing affection? Don't you want to be the kind of person who's generous outside to people that can't pay you back? I mean, think about if you know somebody that's like this, that's good, that just you can count on to just make a good moral choice that you can see, you watch them endure life's hard moments and we're inspired by it. You want that life. This is why I'm convinced that the next generation, the young people among us are going to, they're gonna, we're not just like gonna lose faith in it, they're gonna actually take us forward because here's what I see in young people right now. I see people who some of them don't know why, but there's such a desire for community, for unity, for justice. For, no doubt there are some ways that they go about trying to implement that at times, but, but there's, there are kingdom ideals, kingdom virtues that are expressing themselves. And what we need to do as the generation before us, we hand faith over, is to help them connect why you want that. Is because the image of God is imprinted in you. And the kingdom of God says, this is how it's supposed to be. So find it, find the power, find the connection to Christ. And in that identity, live into that. And then you'll find what you're looking for. You're not gonna find the answer to the world's problem and in some kind of agenda or some kind of legislation or some kind of program. You'll find it when all of us as followers of Jesus live authentic, growing, increasing in measure lives that look like this. And I believe the next generation's gonna do it. They're gonna lead us out of that. Peter says this will keep you from being useless or unfruitful. 
and nobody makes a hero out of the unfruitful guy. I was thinking about this week. We don't have any of these at, at, at our work here at Forest Hill, but maybe some of you have someone at the place where you work that's like the guy who puts in the bare minimum, hasn't added anything to the bottom line in years. You know, nobody wants to be Larry. Like, I just kind of survive. I'm not useful. I'm not adding anything, but I'm still on the payroll. We don't give least valuable player trophies, right? You don't want that. Peter says, don't be the least valuable player in the community. Be fruitful. And then he says this, if we lack these things, this is a good test for us. If you lack it, then you're blind, short-sighted, and have amnesia. You've forgotten cleansing from his past sins. I think this is so powerful. This is where the, the motivation comes. He says, if you're not seeing these qualities, if you're not putting effort into, you're not seeing yourself grow, then you're blind. You, you can't see what's happening around you right now. You're short-sighted or nearsighted. You can't see the future. And you've forgotten how big of a rescue God pulled off when he rescued you. If you and I are able to live lives that don't change and look more like Jesus next year than they did this year, he says you might wanna check and see you've forgotten what a big foul up you were before and what Christ had to do to redeem you and call you his. So sometimes the answer for how am I gonna make every effort, how do I engage this? It's by going back and remember what he rescued me from. Jesus has done that for me. I don't know why or how, but I still, I've been, I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time and I still don't feel that far away from when I was lost. I remember what it feels like. Do you remember that? Do you remember what it is to feel no hope? And do you remember when he came in and with his love and with his mercy said, just follow me. I got this. Peter says, don't forget the cleansing of your past sins. And then as we end, he says, so make every effort to confirm your calling and election. First time you read that, you can get kind of nervous. Like, wait a second, is he saying that our behavior determines if we're saved or not, if I'm actually in? He's not. Anytime you see in scripture something that looks like it, it doesn't make sense to you, you gotta go find where else in scripture it's talked about because this is one of the keys to studying our Bible. It always will agree, it will back up other passages. There is truth that's here that you can have and hold and build your life on. And so he's not saying that we have to somehow remind God that he made the right choice in choosing us. The confirmation of our election, our calling, is for us. It's because he knows that if we don't see the dynamic transformation of our life, we might begin to doubt and think that we were never rescued to begin with. And that's gonna be one of the tactics these false teachers we look at soon begin to play. They start to sow seeds of doubt for you. So. This is not to remind God of who you are, it's to remind you of who you are. And then he says, if you do it, you won't stumble. How many of you have never stumbled? This is embarrassing. Like no hand is up in here. Well, what does this mean? If he says, if you do this, you won't stumble, and yet all of us are saying we stumble, what, what does he mean? He's not saying you don't sin. He's not saying you don't fail. What he's talking about is that you don't like 
fall off the path and never make it in. Because the next thing he says is so powerful. He says, we are all as a community making our way to the entry into the kingdom of God that is richly provided by Christ. It's this, it's this picture of like an Olympian who's gone out to the games and they've won gold and they come home. And maybe one day we'll know what it feels like to have a Super Bowl champion come back to Charlotte after the game. I don't know. But if it happens, you could imagine what that party would be like. I honestly don't think we talk about or think enough about future rewards. The Bible's full of it. And I get why we're, we're nervous about that, right? We don't want to make it about us, like being arrogant or boasting or anything like that. Because everything that we do, we already learned last week, it's all because God's given us the power and the ability to do it anyway, right? But we don't think enough about what kind of reward the Bible clearly says is there for us. See, it says in another place that some of us will, will make it into God's kingdom, but like one who escaped through fire. Like you just barely got it. You're still living with your college dorm furniture. You never upgraded. You're still sleeping on a futon. Some of us will live a life that Jesus will reward as we walk in. And, and the people, the witnesses of heaven who've gone before us, they will watch us walk into that kingdom and some will go, look at that. Can you believe with all the adversity he faced, he made it like that? Look at the endurance that she showed. With, with all of the adversity that was there, the opportunity to split and divide, they fought for unity. Look at that, welcome them in. And it's gonna be a huge party. I'll give them back. We, we should think about how our entrance into heaven is going to sound and feel and look. And Peter says, when you do that, you'll continue to grow and transform into the person that God has for you. So this week, I'm looking at this text and I'm getting ready to, to preach it and I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, God, you gotta work on me. I always wanna have it work on me before I tell you what it's about. And he says really clearly, I'm like, which one, do, where do you want me to start? And I'm not like, not like an audible voice, you know, but I'm, I'm like, where, and it's like, it didn't take half a second. And he pointed out one of the categories. And he says, you, you need to, to love and fight for unity in here with some people. Brotherly affection, that's where you need to start. I'm like, okay, I can do that. You know what though? I don't want to. That's gonna cost me something. And he's like, I know, so you're gonna need some self-control. Because your desire, your appetite, your craving is to, to not do that. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. And he's like, and you know what that is? It's actually making the right hard choice. That's, that's goodness. And all of a sudden, y'all, it felt like not this list of things that I have to check off and do. It felt like this great adventure that Jesus and I were gonna go on, that it was gonna make me better, make my life better, make his kingdom more visible to people on the outside. See, because he doesn't just want your, your furnishings to look good for your own comfort. He also wants to be able to invite people over to your house. He wants us to, to be able to see, people to see what it is that we're living. They, he wants to have fame because when they see how you and I live, they're pointed to him. We want to see the beauty of the designer in that. And so, so I said this week, I'm going to start working. I'm going to make effort on those things. And that's the question I want to ask you, a challenge for you is I want you to think, write down, maybe take a note on your phone, but I want you to think, God, where would you have me start? Which one of these virtues 
can you make effort to grow in this week? Which one can you put intentionality to supplement to your faith? Remember, you're not doing it on your own. It's kind of like, you know those... um, Maybe you've seen kids in the neighborhood of this, they're on a tricycle, little tricycle, and like you see that kid and he's like just going at it, you know, pedaling really hard. And then if you kind of pulled back the camera, you see it has that long handle behind that the dad's pushing or the mom's pushing, you know what I'm talking about? That's us. You gotta get on the trike and pedal. But behind it, God is guiding and pushing and providing the power and helping you. If you just say yes this week to making effort, God will show up. you're gonna get the opportunity to experience life the way he intended. So the big idea is this. Could we all, as a community of faith, could we all together choose to participate with, cooperate with the designer in furnishing our life of faith? I wanna pray for us that we'd have both the ears to hear him and then the courage and strength to do what he asks. And then next week, when you come back, we're gonna have some stories to tell about how he showed up in your life and in our community. Jesus, thank you for this truth. It is so intensely practical that you would just say, hey, there is a way of living that's better than you can imagine. And I wanna lay it out for you. And then I wanna provide what you need to do it. And then when you do what I've already told you and given you power to, I'm gonna throw a party for you. Like your incredible grace for us knows no bounds. And the dignity of saying you want us to participate with you in becoming the us that you see. God, I pray for my friends in here that know where they need to start and they are terrified because it's gonna cost something. It's gonna be scary. They don't know how it's gonna end. I pray that you would give incredible courage. God, for those of us that are just plain selfish, we are used to sitting in our ratty recliner and we don't wanna get rid of it. We are comfortable. I pray that you would bring things into our life this week that would cause us to move. And I pray most, Jesus, that somebody in here and somebody that we interact with this week would sense and see what's possible because you chose in your life, death, and resurrection to give us life and that they would be moved to surrender to you. God, I pray that you would do that through the internet, through people watching now in this moment and watching later this week and in this room and at all of our campuses. Your power knows no bounds. Would you call people to yourself and put us in service for your kingdom? Jesus, we love you, and that's, that's exactly what we want. Help us to know how to want it more. In your beautiful name we pray.